There's a farmer who worked his farm for many years with his faithful horse, and one day that horse ran away. His neighbor, hearing the news, came over with his condolences and said, wow, what bad luck. And the farmer said, eh, we'll see. Well, the next day, this horse comes back with three wild horses with it, and the neighbor saw that and went, wow, wow, that's great news. And the farmer said, well, we'll see. The day after that, his son jumps on one of the wild horses to ride it, was bucked off and broke his leg. And the neighbor's like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. What bad luck. And, and the farmer said, well, we'll have to see. The day after that, the military comes through and they're drafting all the boys in the village. And since he had a broken leg, they passed on him. And the neighbor comes over again and says, wow, what great news. And the farmer said, huh, we'll see. You know, and I can go on and on and on with this story, but, but you get the picture, right? Circumstances doesn't define whether something is good or bad. We have to wait and see sometimes of how it turns out. What is the end result? We've all had experiences, right, where, where something that seemed like a curse in our life turned out to be a blessing, where, where, where rejection turns into redirection and where unanswered prayer could be the greatest blessing in our life. And sometimes just, just because God places a calling on our lives and, 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 and wills us to do something doesn't mean that it's going to be without difficulties. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be without trials or without suffering. And I'm not saying that the Christian life and living out the will of God is all suffering, all difficult. In fact, I do believe that, that we do live the most blessed life as believers because we know the purpose for which we live. But... Also reminding us that when life is difficult, when we do suffer, that also is the Christian life lived out in the will of God. At this point, Paul has been a convert. He's been a Christian now for about 27 years. And all along, he's been wanting to bring the gospel to Spain and to Rome. And he wrote the book of Romans. Um, it was a letter to the Roman church uh, in preparation to his visit three years before he would ever get there. Paul had been planning numerous trips to Rome, and every time the doors were closed, the Holy Spirit closed the doors on him. But now, God has told him that he will go to Rome. He will testify of God uh, in Rome. And so it brings us to uh, the passages that we're going to read today, um, which is Acts 27, 1 through 28, 15. It's a total of 59 verses that we're going to get through today. So I'm going to summarize a lot of what is going on because it really is a very detailed um, passage about this journey that Paul is taking to Rome. It's a, uh, it's a lot of details in that and a lot of difficulty. So I'm going to be summarizing most of that. And as we're coming up to, to these last two chapters in Acts, you know, it records that fulfillment of Paul's desire to get to Rome. He was a Roman citizen. This is the place where God told him uh, that, that he would come. This destination is in God's plan. It's in God's will. And there's no better place to be than in the middle of God's will and God's plans, correct? So here it is. Paul's going to Rome. His dream's coming true. He's on his way as a prisoner, as a prisoner. So Paul is a prisoner, and he's loaded up on a ship with other prisoners under the guard of a centurion, a Roman centurion named Julius. He was treated kindly by him uh, and allowed to visit some friends on the way to the ship. Um, but they were put out to sea, and they met some really bad weather. Um, there were strong winds, it says, working against them for days. 
and, and the travel was difficult. And they came to a place called Fair Havens. Kind of ironic, Fair Havens, because the storms were really bad there. Um, and at this point, Paul gives a warning. And, uh, and it comes down to uh, um, verses 10 through 12 and 27. And he, he says, he's saying, Sir, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also to our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Makes sense. He was just a prisoner, right? Um, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest winds, and spend the winter there. So basically, uh, this storm is coming in. It's a very bad storm. And Paul is warning them. And I believe this. I believe Paul is warning them in his own strength, just from his own experiences, um, and, uh, and just trying to warn them the, of the dangers. And so uh, they ignore him. And, and what they're doing really is they're choosing to race the storm. They're choosing to get to Phoenix, to get to Crete as quickly as they can and beat the storm out. But this is going to be a difficult journey for sure. And in that, in that difficulty, we need, we need to remember, it's God's plan. It's not our plans all the time. You know, the, the scriptures say in Proverbs 16, 9, that, that the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Paul may have known this glorious destination, right? But it would have been impossible to, for him to know the many difficulties of, and the details of this journey. We tend to look through life through a lens of, of a nagging, insatiable desire for success, for comfort, for pleasure. I mean, let's be honest. We feel like we deserve a life without pain, a life without suffering, a life without hardship. And when we do have those things, and which we do often have those things, we can convince ourselves that this isn't part of God's plan. We can convince ourselves that, that maybe God has failed us, or at least there's been some mistake. We must keep in mind, God doesn't fail us. In adversity. God is with us in all things. He doesn't, even when he doesn't remove us from difficult situations, God doesn't passively or actively fail us when we go through difficult situations because he has never promised us that we wouldn't. In fact, the Bible actually talks more about suffering than it does about happiness. James 1, uh, may I remind you, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Consider it joy, my brothers, when you face difficulties. And we see in Acts 23.11 that that obviously he is in the will of God because, because God comes to him and says, um, and he promises Paul that he would go to Rome. And it says in 23.11, Take courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify about me in Rome. Now, I will say this. If God made us a promise like that, how many of us would prepare for God to, pro uh, to provide an amazing journey to Rome, perhaps first-class tickets in an airplane, perhaps a suite on a cruise ship, but we're going to get there in comfort and style, and we're going to be well-rested, right? What gives us that thought that God's, 
when God puts a calling on his life, when we're living out in God's will, that it's going to bring comfort and happiness. That God's providence will bring peace in our life. Because look at his callings through scripture. He anoints David king, right? And 27 years later, he sits at the throne. And many of those years, those 27 years, he was running for his life from a king and his army who were trying to kill him. He was starving. He was, he, he was hiding in caves. He was living a very difficult life. We look at Joseph, you know, who was, who was abandoned by his family, really. He just sold into slavery. What must that have felt like? And, uh, and, and just as he kind of got hold of his life as a slave, right, and started to gain influence, he was falsely accused and he was thrown in prison to rot there. Being used by God for his purposes are not always, and in fact, sometimes rarely, the easiest route we could take. Yet even in difficult times, we look at Paul's character. We look at his faithfulness and how he stays on course with it. And the scriptures go on that they, they met a turbulent wind called a northeaster, a nor'easter. I didn't even know Massachusetts was in the Mediterranean, but, um, but they were driven off course. You know, there's a violent storm and it tossed them and they began to jettison the cargo. They began to throw things off the ship, to lighten the ship, to survive this storm. They threw even the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. It says that the storm was so bad that they didn't see stars or the sun for days. And it brings us to um, this passage, uh, 21 through 25. And since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Now, he's not like, hey, I told you so. He's basically just trying to build up confidence to say, look, I, I knew what I was talking about. This is going to be a difficult journey. Um, and, and then he goes on. Yet I now urge you to take heart, have courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all of those who are sailing with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as he has told me. But we must run aground on some island. We must be shipwrecked, but we're all going to survive. So he's encouraging him. He's giving them hope. In the midst of all these difficulties, they haven't eaten. They're, they, you know, they're in the middle of the storm. They're, they're looking at peril in the face. Paul is bringing hope to others. You know, I heard a pastor once say that I would rather die in the will of God than to live outside of it. I would rather suffer being in the will of God than live a life of pleasure outside of it. And, you know, you look at, you look at the scriptures and you think of like maybe that blind man, right? That, that Jesus healed on that doorstep, right? And you think about him and he lived a life of suffering, a life of poverty, right? And Jesus healed him and brought glory to God. Now, you can't tell me that that man that was born blind and healed for the glory of God would have chosen to be born with sight and lived a mediocre life if he had the opportunity to do it all over again. You know, when you, when you think of people like Jim Elliott and the four, the four missionaries that went with him who were slaughtered 
in the mission field by those that they were trying to bring the gospel to, that they would have chosen any other path than what God had called them to if they could do it all over again. Knowing that their wives came up behind them and shared the gospel with these same people in the same tribe that killed him and the gospel penetrated their hearts. We shouldn't run from suffering. We shouldn't run from suffering. Often the path towards suffering leads right to God's glory. And the path away from suffering also has a destination. Would we rather suffer being in the will of God than find pleasure and comfort outside of it? Stephen said this the other day, and it just made sense. Was, would we rather be the hero of a small and petty story that is our own? Or would we rather be a simple vessel that is being used in the gloriously unfolding story of an almighty God? We need to remind ourselves that regardless of good times, regardless of difficulties, we can live without fear, we can live without anxiety because God's sovereign protection is always upon us. When I'm looking at the story, I'm thinking all this difficulty in Paul and all this that he's been through, how can he still be bringing hope to others? How is he able to maintain hope? Be concerned for others because he believed in the sovereignty of God and because he believed that good would come out of it. He understood the power of the gospel. And he understood the importance of it, taking hold in Rome. Rome was the epicenter of the world at that time. They said that all roads lead to Rome, all roads lead out of Rome. And if you can cement the gospel there, it would explode throughout the world. So he had that. He was able to maintain that hope in the sovereignty of God. Because when you think about it, and when you think about God's sovereignty, what have we got to lose? What have we got to lose? The scriptures say that our days are already numbered. God has already appointed them. He has already determined our days. So we can live confidently in his sovereign protection and knowing that that will always be upon us because God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't overlook the smallest details and he is not surprised by the outcomes. And when we're faithful and we persevere, he will recognize it us for it. And he will raise his faithful to a place of influence. And I'm not talking like power and opulence. I'm talking influence. And we see Paul doing this even as a prisoner on a ship. We see Paul gaining the confidence and, and influence over the others. And he's been using this to bring hope and even saving lives on that ship. They, they've been going through this difficult storm now for over two weeks. This journey is going to be between, between six and eight months long. And Paul gives a warning that is going to save the lives of every man on that ship virtually. In 29 to 32, <clears throat> Paul says, um, and, and fear that we might run on the rocks, they let, in fear of, uh, that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. That's how scared they were. They laid down the anchors to secure the ship and then just prayed that day, the next day would come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. So they were pretending like they were going to mess with the anchors. That's why they needed to lower the boats. But their plan was to escape. So Paul um, said to the centurion and the, uh, and the other soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, 
we cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes of the ship and let the boats just float away. The sailors, again, they're planning an escape. It would have put everybody's lives at stake. And Paul is starting to really build up influence and showing leadership. And what does he do with that? He gives a second word of encouragement. As they have all gone like 14 days without any nourishment, Paul, Paul stands up and says, as the day was about to dawn, Paul urged them to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense, not knowing what's going to happen, and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you, take some food. It's going to give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And then they were encouraged, and they ate food themselves. And, they, and when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship again, throwing out all the wheat into the sea. So they ate to their fill, they gained, they gained some strength, and then they threw all the food overboard to lighten the ship. And then they struck a reef. They ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck into the rocks and, and remained immovable. And the stern was being broken up by the surf. So this, we're stuck in these rocks and the surf is just beating the ship to death. And the soldiers' plan at that point was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them swim away and escape. Because the soldiers at that time, if their prisoners escaped, they, they dealt with the fate themselves of what their prisoner was supposed to do. So if they escaped, many of them would be killed or imprisoned. But the centurion, who was guarding Paul, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out this plan. So Paul had so influenced his guard that he wanted to save Paul's life and in doing so, talked everybody out of killing all of the prisoners and saved all of their lives. And he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make it to the land and the rest on the planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that they were brought safely to land. Even though many of these men weren't Christians, Paul's character started rising in influence, and they began to look at him, a lowly prisoner. How could that be? And I believe it's because, as believers, we're always being watched. We're always being observed. And, when, and we need to take our cues from God, not from people's opinions, not from our circumstances. People, circumstances change People are fickle. And I just want to show you an example of that. In verse 28, uh, chapter 28, verse 3 through 6, they reached the land after they got the shipwreck and they're building a fire. So when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. So this viper bites Paul and is hanging from his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt, this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Bad things happen to bad people. That was their motive. That was their thinking. He must be a murderer for something this bad to happen to him. But he shook off the creature into the fire, and he suffered no harm. And they waited for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. 
He went from an evil murderer who's getting justice as he deserves to being a god. Right? Haven't people's opinions changed all the time? They were shipwrecked for over three months. I just want to remind you, when we're faithful to God, and when we're practicing what we say we believe, it has power. And as people watch us, and watch us live it out faithfully, their hearts oftentimes soften toward Christianity, soften toward God. I mean, hasn't that happened to you? in your life. Hasn't that happened to you where you're working at a secular job? People, they know you're a Christian, but they don't talk about it and they don't, you know, they don't really care that much. But, but then, after watching you, they come seeking advice from you on life's issues. They're dealing with their children. They're dealing with their marriage. They're dealing with something. And they come to you for advice. Or they come to you for prayer because they're sick or somebody they know is sick. Because they come to a point where they trust you and they're influenced by your faith. Now, they get through the shipwreck, they leave Crete, and they land on the mainland. And, and, and as they're reaching Pacholi, they, they head to Rome again. They head to Rome again. And news reached the church in Rome that Paul was coming. And as he traveled the Appian Way, it connects Naples to Rome at that point, um, they were met at the forum by Christians who traveled over 43 miles to greet Paul. This isn't like 43 miles, hey, jump in the car and take the freeway. This is rough, 43 miles. They traveled just to greet Paul. And Paul was greatly encouraged, and he thanked God. And this is what it says about it. And there we found brothers who were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we come to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum and Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Paul was encouraged, meaning his courage was strengthened. Right? And God will bring that to us when we need it. We might feel like we're at the end of our rope. But when we need it, God will bring it, whether through his Holy Spirit or through his people. It's been almost two years now after the divine assurance given to Paul in Jerusalem that he would go to Rome. He finally gets there. He finally met Roman Christian brothers and sisters. His ministry had finally reached the destination it reached a while ago, but now he gets to see it firsthand. He gets to see his labors. He gets to see his sufferings fulfilled in the gospel reaching Rome, even before he did. And we need to remind ourselves, it's God's plan, not ours, right? It may not go as we would have planned it. Our comforts don't determine whether or not we are in the will of God. Being in the will determines whether we are in the will of God, regardless of what it looks like. And sometimes life is great, and sometimes life is difficult. But our confidence is in God, not in our circumstances. As Christ followers, we're bringers of the gospel. We should be agents of hope. And we should be instilling hope in others. Because the gospel is the story where our hope is and why we have it. And we move forward with the protection of a sovereign God. As believers, we should be wise because we're grounded in the truths of Scripture. 
And those truths should be, bring hope and healing. They shouldn't be used to, to, to prove yourself right or win an argument. We need to speak the truth in love and in compassion. And we should have the heart and the attitude of a servant so that people know that we are not simply having our best interests at heart, but we genuinely care for them. We genuinely care for their souls. And we need to have clear and appropriate testimonies of how God's faithfulness has been true in our lives. And we need to encourage fellow Christians that are going through difficult times. And we need to allow fellow Christians to encourage us and not just hide away and suffer alone. We need to let our brothers and sisters know that we're hurting so that they can comfort us, encourage us, and bring us hope. God's sovereignty is at work, and it's still working out its purposes. Even in this broken world, that we live in today with so much suffering, so much mayhem, so much evil, sickness and death, poverty and hunger, God's plan is still unfolding. And he told us of his plan to deliver us all from it. He is our salvation. He will redeem it all. He will judge it all when he returns. And we hope confidently in this. Peter says to be ready to give a reason for your hope. To be ready to articulate why we have hope and in whom we have hope. And it says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And in Peter's mind, this makes perfect sense because that hope, that assurance, is the root of courage. It is the root of confidence, and it is the cure to anxiety. God doesn't make mistakes. Nothing slips by him. So I just want to take a minute and ask you right now, do you need hope? Do you need some hope right now? Do you need some encouragement right now? You, people are going through tough times right now in many different ways. And if you need it, just acknowledge that and, and answer. Is there somewhere you can go? Is there someone you know that's been a mentor in your life, a uh, spiritual warrior in your life, that, that you can go to and receive that? You can go and, 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 and ask for prayer from the church. And we can pray with you. And if you're good, that's great. But do you know somebody that needs hope? Do you know somebody that needs some encouragement right now. Go to them. Go to them with the hope and the encouragement that only the gospel can bring, right? I mean, give them the whole gospel that God created us in his image, right? And everything was right in that relationship. Everything was as it should be. We invited sin into the world, all sorts of evil. And Jesus conquered that at the cross. And he's coming back to judge it and fulfill it and make everything right again, the way it ought to be. So there is no more suffering. There is no more difficulties. And that's what Paul has been suffering for all along, to bring the gospel. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been left for dead. He's been shipwrecked. He's been imprisoned and lived a life of suffering simply to bring the gospel. 
And what does he say about all that suffering? He called it a temporary inconvenience. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, life is just a vapor, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The gospel. A light affliction. When you look at Paul's life and everything he went through, difficulty does not mean you're not in the will of God. Being in the will of God means that you're in the will of God. Let's pray. Our oh, Lord, Father God, you have called us, Lord. You have called us to a life of sacrifice, a life of loving others. And you have called us to share the gospel and disciple people so that they too may find hope in this desperate, broken world and that they can see it fulfilled one day when you return. And we just pray for those people and we pray, Lord, that you put it on our hearts to always be looking to share the gospel as you have commanded. In Jesus' name, amen.